Hey everyone, I'm Rob. Welcome back to the Brown Dog Studios and Policy G, take it from me. How's it going, Susan? Hey, thanks, Rob. Um, it's pretty good. Happy 2022. Yeah, 2022. Uh, is this the year that good governance takes over and sweeps through all the boardrooms of the world? Oh, yes, definitely. Or Zoom rooms anyway. Well, we're going to do our part anyway with this podcast and all the other Brown Dog consulting projects in motion. So what's on your mind these days, Susan? Oh, so much, Rob. There's so much going on. Uh, for this podcast, though, let's talk about policy governance in the news. I will tell a story, policy governance story time. And I just want to share a few tips and tricks. We'll talk about uh, people tips for people who aren't even using policy governance yet, but what can they do now? Sounds like a full plate. Where do we start? <laughs> Well, policy governance in the news. Now, when you do a Google search of policy governance and you look for news stories that mention policy governance, there isn't a lot, but usually the things that do turn up have to do with school boards. And often it's a case of school boards that are using policy governance and there's some big scandal or conflict or people are angry about something. So last fall, there was this story of these four school board members who were being recalled. The recall effort never actually worked. It was turned down. But somebody decided that four board members needed to be taken off the school board. And they had a website and they had all kinds of points that they were making. And one of the points they made was that the board was delegating to the superintendent too much. Actually, they didn't use the word delegating. They said the board had abdicated their responsibility. And it seemed to me like, hey, wait a second, obviously that board wasn't or isn't or can't be using policy governance because there is no abdication of board responsibility and policy governance. It's the opposite, right? The board delegates authority and then checks to make sure that that authority was used appropriately. They check for evidence of accomplishment of the direction that they set. One of the aspects of policy governance, John Carver talks about this all the time. He says all the different pieces of policy governance work together like the parts of a watch or a clock. Every single piece is important and they all work together to create the benefit, to create the thing, to tell time, to make the watch or the clock work, right? And so because some people say, well, do we have to use all 10 policy governance principles? Can we just use three or four? And he's like, no, there's a reason why there's 10 and why they all kind of work together. They're integrated. And so if you hear in the news a story where a board is delegating authority, but they're not doing the other parts of monitoring to see if what they delegated is actually happening, that's not policy governance at all. You've got to think of it as there's all these integrated parts and they've all got to be working together. Uh, let me use an example. For example, um, let's say um, we're planning a party, a New Year's Eve party, another New Year's Eve party, right? And we need cheese. Every party needs cheese, right? And I say to you, Rob, I say, here's 50 bucks 
go buy cheese for the party. All right. And off you go. Would that be enough? Is, is that the end of the story <laughs> that I send you off to buy cheese for the party and that's all that happens? Well, I'd probably like to know what kind of cheese. And, and you know me, I could eat my weight. In, <laughs> <laughs> I, I could eat my weight in cheese, but I'd probably want to know what type of cheese you want me to come back with. Okay. So let's say you're a board of directors. You might add some more detail. Like this is just, just a, an example for illustrative purposes. But let's say I say, uh, okay, go get cheese for the party. And I want a variety of soft and hard cheeses, some domestic, some international different flavors, but generally get me some good tasting cheese for the party. Here's 50 bucks. Off you go. Right. Is that the end of the story? Well, no, I think probably then you'd want to look at the cheese I brought back as exactly. long as I was within the criteria that you gave me. Exactly. When you come back with the cheese and with the receipt for $50 or more or less, I'm going to want to see what's in a bag. What did you get? So if I open the grocery bags and I find that you bought, I don't know, a big bag of Doritos and some of those Breton crackers and, and Coke, I'm going to be going, well, where's the cheese for the party, right? So that is monitoring in governance parlance is checking to see if what you asked for or requested or the direction that you set was actually followed. So what I'm going to see and want to see in that bag is some collection of, you know, cheddar and blue cheese and <laughs> one of those cheese balls, you know, like something that, you know, really is a reasonable interpretation of cheese for the party. Right. So whenever people are watching their school boards or looking at governance issues in the news, you want to be able to connect the dots. You want to not just see that a board is delegating but they're delegating and checking to see that their delegation was followed. In fact, all the dots that you want to check are first, you want to see that the board is engaging with key stakeholders or owners, as we call them. You want to see that they are actually getting input from the people on what the direction should be. That's step one. And you think of this as a whole cycle right? Step two, you want to see that they are really thinking and discussing amongst themselves to create a direction that encompasses what they heard, the input that they got in step one, and also good information and their own values. So you want to see the expression of that direction. We call that policy. That's step two. Then step three, you want to see that the top person on the operational side, whether they're the superintendent of a school or a, a chief of staff or general manager, whatever, executive director, whatever their title is, you want to see that they take that direction and now flesh it out in more detail in measurable outcomes, right? And then lastly, you want to see a monitoring report that shows what the uh, CEO's interpretation of the policy was and what the evidence of accomplishment or achievement or compliance with that was. And then the board gets a chance to look at that monitoring report and judge, was the interpretation reasonable? Does the evidence show compliance or achievement? So governance, the governance job 
encompasses this whole cycle of getting input, getting smarter, expressing values, and then judging performance. And it's not just one thing. So when people get all upset, oh no, the board delegated authority for something. Okay, that's fine. Now did they check to see if that authority was actually followed? If they didn't, then yes, you have a problem. The other thing that was weird about that story in the news about Wisconsin was that they were recalling four specific board members. And to me, I'm thinking, well, board authority is group authority. So what about the other board members? Were they, you know, what did they do to kind of bring the whole board into line? Were they not doing their job also? And so why not recall like everybody? It feels to me like either if there's a recall effort, it should primarily be kind of targeted at one person maybe who has a very kind of well-defined execution kind of role that they're falling down on or recall the whole board or wait till the next board election because one or two or three board members kind of weird just to recall just a few when board authority is group authority. But we'll get more into that group authority business in a in a later podcast episode. I just wanted to mainly point out here uh, the importance of understanding how there's 10 principles and they're all integrated. And this integration, this thing of sending you off to the store to buy cheese without checking to see what you came back with, that's not how policy governance works. I also wanted to quote something actually that John Carver said about good governance at the local level. He says it's really, really difficult. He says requiring good governance at the local level is easier said than done. There exists a dysfunctional cycle. Boards are not accountable, uh, the province or the state, and community learn not to expect them to be accountable. And then not being expected to be accountable, they do not struggle with the philosophy and mechanics of being accountable. So the issue of public bodies like school boards, municipalities, other agencies, and you know, you name it, that challenge for them to, to govern effectively is huge because not only do they need to understand their job, but the people who are watching, the people in the public have to have a good sense of what accountability and good governance even looks like. Susan, we'll take a quick break and be right back with Policy G Storytime. You want to make the world a better place, but how? So much to do, so little time. Well, serving on a board of directors is a great way to help create a better world, especially if that board has a clear system for achieving results. Learning how to be an effective board member used to mean reading big books and going to expensive workshops. But now there's engaging online training. The Board Accelerator is a web-based governance course that lets you learn at your own pace and place. Whether you're considering joining a board or serving on one now, the Board Accelerator gives you key insights and the confidence to be an effective board member. To learn more, visit browndogconsulting.com and click book a call. Talk soon. So Susan, you have another story for us today? 
I do. I was reflecting on this story recently and just trying to make sense out of it. So let me just like kind of get it out there. About 10 years ago, I attended a big, fancy corporate governance conference in New York City at the Waldorf Astoria, no less. Of course, I was not making a lot of money at that time. And so I wasn't staying at the Waldorf Astoria. I actually stayed at some small hotel in Queens. And then I ended up going to this conference and bringing my clothes <laughs> in a bag in for the cocktail party at night because I figured I couldn't be wearing the same thing at the evening business as I was wearing all during the day. And since I wasn't staying at the Waldorf Astoria, I had to bring it in a plastic bag. So anyway, that's fine. I, I managed. Anyway, so I go to this conference with all these very, you know, corporate-y type people. Nobody I knew was there. There were a few from Canada, but I didn't really know anybody. And introverted as I am, I don't really have an easy time of, of making new friends at cocktail parties and so and such. But I still was in there with my policy governance hat on, right? And I attended this workshop that had to do with uh, what happens when things go really south when there's a huge scandal in an organization who's to blame is it the ceo or the board and so of course i had my two cents to put into that and i kept making the case well the board is ultimately accountable so don't just like cart off the ceo and take them to jail what was the board doing at the time right and so there was this guy opposite me in that little workshop and he was kind of listening to what I was saying and nodding and going, yeah, yeah. You know, the board is kind of a fundamental part to accountability. And so I thought, great. So later at the cocktail party, after I had gone into the ladies room and changed into my cocktail outfit, <laughs> this guy, um, we have a glass of wine and, and he just starts chatting with me. And he's asking me more. He said, you know, you made some good comments in that workshop. Tell me a little bit more about what you do and what you're all about. So, of course, I launch into my whole, you know, life story and talk about policy governance and how great it was. And he made a few comments here and there. And then we're having a nice chat and we're drinking wine. And, and then I realized I stopped for a second. I said, wait a second. What board did you say you served on? And he said, Enron. <laughs> At which point I almost lost it because he is a board member on the board that I'm always using as an example of governance gone wrong. And here I am standing with the guy, one of the guys. And so that was then kind of interesting because then I started giving him a little bit of a hard time um, because I sang, well, uh, so where, where were you when everything went south at Enron? And he said, the thing was, with our board is that we couldn't be held accountable. We couldn't stop what happened from happening because Andy Fasto, the, the CFO, I guess he was, the guy in the organization who was doing all this bad stuff, he would take these moves inside the operations and then kind of stop them or reverse them or change them before the next reporting period. 
So he would kind of try something and then cover it up and then try something and cover it up. And it, it was, he did this stuff in a way that the board never really saw the actual wrongdoing that, that Andy Fasto was doing in real time. And he said, there's no way the board could have known about any of that because of how he covered it up. And I thought, okay, but as a board member, it's your job to know what you need to know. You need to know that these kinds of things are not happening and you need to have an evidence-based system to assure, well, the CEO needs that. And then the CEO needs to be able to provide that assurance that these bad things, you know, anything illegal, imprudent, unethical are not happening so that the board can govern with confidence and, and you know, take the company in, in the right direction. So it was a funny kind of little one of those episodes in life. I feel like lately I've been thinking about how there's some if you were to take your life as a as a big, long film reel, you know, there are parts where you you just want to fast forward. It's just so cringeworthy. You're like, oh, that was just brutal. I got to fast forward through that part. Then there's other parts of your life where you you kind of want to play it in slow motion because it was really, really good. And you want to experience that again. Then there's moments like this at this fancy event at the Waldorf Astoria where you kind of want to hit the pause button and look at that moment and think, did I say the right thing? Should I have said something differently? What was the, the meaning or the purpose of me meeting an Enron board member out of the blue like that? And so that was a story I just wanted to share with everybody. Uh, Pug. If you're out there, if you're listening, uh, leave us a message or give us a call and tell us how you're doing. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your glass of wine with me. I know someone took a picture of me and him together, smiling with our glasses of wine. So somewhere out there, there is a photo of me and this Enron board member or former Enron board member. And uh, I wonder if that's that photo will ever uh, pop up one day. Anyway, that's my story, Rob. Okay, so maybe that's an example of uh, board accountability and how they get what they need to know um, in order to be truly accountable. They can't just leave it to staff and hope that their direction is being implemented. Right. Going back to our first point about the importance of delegating and then checking to make sure that that delegation was followed. It also has me think about the difference between criminal liability and accountability and civil liability. In the criminal cases, most of them, you have to prove that there was knowledge, mens rea, right? That there was knowledge or intent to commit a crime. And that's often really, really difficult to show or to prove. When it comes to organizations and accountability, it more has to do with the role that the person is in that then sets them up as being the authority and the person to whom everyone's accountable. So if something goes wrong, boom, it's pretty simple. Well, who is in that role? Think of in the Canadian government system and culture, we had have always had this idea of ministerial responsibility, right? So remember the John Fraser tuna case where there was tainted tuna, the minister of fisheries had to fall on his sword, had to say, okay, because of this doctrine of ministerial responsibility, I have to resign. 
And that's kind of been part of our tradition in, in Canada and, and the UK as well, the parliamentary system, right, of ministerial responsibility. So when it comes to organizations, it's a little bit of a similar thing. If you're in that role as CEO, you are accountable for everything that everyone else in your employee does, even though you are not directly responsible for what they're doing, you are accountable for all of it. And so it feels so much simpler to, I don't know, not lay blame necessarily, but to show, okay, who's, <laughs> who's accountable for this thing going wrong. It doesn't matter that you didn't actually, you know, cook the books yourself. But if you are accountable for someone who did cook the books, then it's much, it's, there's, there's much more clarity. And then when there's clarity, you can save a lot of time uh, trying to figure out all kinds of details all around that. So anyway, I think that I wish, I wish that that understanding of accountability and responsibility was more prevalent in organizations today, that it's not about, oh, well, we didn't know that was happening. Well, no, it was your job to know. So you're on the hook, even though you're not the person who cooked the books. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. So shouldn't the term ministerial responsibility be more properly ministerial accountability? Because ministers and cabinet secretaries and board members, they can't be usually directly responsible for things going on below them. They're accountable and should know about it, but they're not responsible. So John Fraser had to fall on his sword, even though he wasn't directly responsible for the tainted tuna. Right. So this business of uh, board accountability, they should know what's going on in the organization, even if they're not directly responsible for those activities, they should be accountable for them through a monitoring system. Right, right. And yeah, the, the, the phrase ministerial responsibility came along far before policy governance came along and, and our understanding of the differences between accountability and responsibility in that, in the way that that term has been used, it does uh, refer more to ministerial accountability. That would be kind of a more accurate term. Well, we all know what happened to Enron and WorldCom and, and similar organizations. That's an example of governance dysfunction. So, all right, let's take another quick break and then we'll come back. Discover a wealth of beautiful piano music composed by women throughout history, women who have rarely been heard until now. Go to pianomusicshewrote.com for several resources and to buy your copies of the newly published Piano Music She Wrote Anthologies for Elementary Level Pianists and Piano Students, edited by pianist Sandra Mogensen. That's pianomusicshewrote.com. So, Susan, after those uh, few examples and a bit of background, uh, what do you have in the way of advice or tips and tricks for people serving on or for boards of directors? Well, remember from our last podcast, we talked about the different audiences for this podcast, how there's the, the policy governance people, the geeks, the gurus like me, 
than the PG curious, but then there's that other batch of people who serve on boards or serve for a board of directors, but they're suffering. So I wanted to talk to them a little bit here about if you're not using policy governance, what can you do? I mean, is there anything that those people can do in the moment when they're experiencing issues at board meetings? And so I wanted to share a little bit of advice for those people. Obviously, we'd love for you to learn about policy governance and and use the policy governance principles. That's really going to go a long way to solve many or most or all of your problems. But if you're not and you're not quite there yet, we get it. That's fine. One thing that you can keep in mind in those cases when you're in when you're in a board meeting and there is either a conversation that's going around and around and around forever and you're everyone's thinking where <laughs> haven't we talked about this enough or already or if there is some kind of scandal or situation or big problem or challenge that emerges suddenly and everybody's like ah what do we do you can save a whole lot of time by looking at thinking through checking to see what have we already said what have we already said about this particular issue because instead of reinventing the wheel exactly because there's pretty good odds that the board has already dealt with this or something similar and so there could be a policy on the books. There could be something in your bylaws. There could be a previous resolution that was passed. If you don't have a nice neat policy manual with, you know, when you're using policy governance, there would be maybe something else that's already in the books about what you've already said. Refer to that. You know, when you start working in a business or in government, really in any any sort of way of life, you learn very quickly from a young age, the importance of writing things down, right? <laughs> About having a record, not just, not just in the sort of covering your butt kind of way, but having a record. If you make a, an arrangement or a, uh, a contract with someone, have that contract language written down, even if it's, if it's really simple. Reminds me of Judge Judy, remember? She'd be like, well, do you have that written down? What was the agreement? Having agreements written down help a lot. So similarly, in it's you know it's no different for boards of directors in boardrooms. Instead of having the same conversation again and again and again, look to see what have you already said. And chances are there will be something that can then be your starting point for the conversation or maybe almost an ending point for the conversation. You'll see, oh, we already dealt with this last June. Here's what we decided then. Boom, you've got your decision and you can carry on, right? So that's one piece of advice, whether you're using policy governance or not. A second one is when you are in a boardroom setting or a Zoom room, when you're in a board meeting and somebody is doing something that is completely off, you know, they're, they're, they're being difficult or they're clearly unprepared for the meeting or they're just um, creating conflict or unnecessary tension. Uh, what you can always do is share back with the group what you're noticing, kind of be a, a mirror. You learn this in uh, facilitation training as well, that whenever there's some kind of conflict, just, you know, 
you have to stay calm and then reflect back to everybody else what you're noticing. So you could say, I noticed, Bill, that you're, <laughs> whatever, what is Bill doing? He's getting very angry about something or Bill, or I noticed that some people in this room don't seem prepared for this meeting or whatever it is, try and point it out gently, just what you're noticing. Don't make it personal. Just this is what I notice. And then if there is something already written down, some guidelines, or even if you have vision, mission, values written down, share how you think that what you're noticing is not in alignment with what you've already said. You might have a list of values that you developed at some point. And one of the values is we care about our people. You know, you could say, all right, this is what I notice. And I also know that we've said that one of our values is we care about our people or we care about integrity. Um, I'm not sure that these two things align. And that's kind of a gentle way of raising the fact that there's a, a, a lack of alignment without seeming overly personal or pointing fingers at somebody and blaming them because they're a bad person. Because then that just gets everybody's backs up and makes the meeting even more difficult. So share what you notice or be a mirror and then reflect with that together with what you've already said, whether it's values, policies, a board resolution, whatever it is. And a third one would be for staff members. If staff members ever feel like they are being micromanaged by their board, say you have an individual board member who's calling you up and saying, hey, Lucy, can you put together an Excel spreadsheet for me for all the expenses we had from 1993 to 2013 that had to do with purchasing office equipment, you know, <laughs> and you're like, what? As a staff person, you certainly have the ability to ask that board member, are you asking me this question to do this piece of work, which I anticipate will take me X amount of time? Are you asking me this as on like, on behalf of the board as a whole, or is this just your personal request? Uh, board members using policy governance know that board authority is group authority. Other board members are, you know, boards with board members are not too clear on that. They think that every board member has individual power. Um, and we know from using policy governance principles that you only have the amount of authority that, that you've been given by the board as a whole essentially board authorities, group authority. So if a staff member feels like they are being kind of micromanaged or asked to do all these little tasks that seem to be coming only from that one board member, then it's important to check. Are you asking me this as just your own personal request or on behalf of the board? You could also, at some point, if this problem got really serious, float it up. So it's a conversation between the CEO and the board so that they sort out, okay, which kinds of requests are you expecting all of my staff to do? Because what we're trying to do is achieve the results that the board as a whole has asked us to achieve. And if we have these individual requests coming in, we can't necessarily prioritize those because we've, we know that we're accountable to you as a whole. 
group board, right? So those are just a few ways not to really use policy governance in stealth mode, but to kind of um, learn from the principles and apply what you can until everybody gets training. They get the board education piece so that now all board and staff members understand how governance works, how good governance works, and how everyone's lives can be made so much more easy. And I suppose if that uh, board member or director who's um, requesting something specific of staff, if that director has been delegated by the board to do that, to reach out to that staff member, that's fine. But if mm -hmm. you've got multiple directors going at staff, that can be very demoralizing and dysfunctional, which is one of the problems when directors don't understand that group authority. Right. And I've heard so many stories from hurt and staff members saying, oh, we can never get our job done because a, B, Mr. A, B, and C on the board and Mrs. D keep asking us to do all these little tasks and it takes away from doing our actual job. It's a, it's a big problem out there and it's just so simple to fix it by having a, an understanding that board authorities, group authority. I want to talk about that a little bit more in a, in a future podcast. Is that probably a case too, where some directors think that they are Uber managers, that they're, they're on the board because they were very good managers. So now they're going to micromanage people instead of looking at board governance, uh, larger, um, and, and how that uh, relates to staff. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, Everyone, everyone who micromanages doesn't think they're a micromanager, but because they're coming at it with often good intentions that they're smart, they have experience, they know how to do, you know, how to write an RFP and how to do contracting and how to save money and how to create a budget. They know all that stuff. So they feel like they're being helpful by uh, telling staff individually what to do. They're just lending their expertise because they're a board member. But that's not really their job as a governing, as a member of a governing body. And we'll, again, we'll talk more about that in a future podcast. But uh, I feel for those people who are suffering from these kinds of things right now and these kinds of frustrations, uh, hang in there if, if the board and can get, become knowledgeable about how policy governance works and the staff as well, it's going to save everybody a ton of frustration and, and time. And you'll get to have to get more done more quickly. And people should feel happier because they're more productive. And when you bring that role clarity, uh, then everybody feels more empowered and perhaps less stressed in, mm -hmm. in doing their job. Yeah, I really think if you're if you're in a job where you're able to do your actual job and be creative about it and, and get things done. It's just kind of a happier uh, feeling and you just feel more engaged and you you're adding value and you can see that. And it just, it's great. All right. Well, that seems to be, uh, we've covered a lot of ground in this episode. That seems to be all for now. Do we have anything left to talk about in our next episode? <laughs> well, like I said, definitely. I want to get a little bit more into that group authority concept and would it, what it means. Uh, and yes, there are a lot other topics, ownership stuff, stakeholders, owners, beneficiaries, uh, customers versus owners. There's a lot more that I want to get into more stories to come. 
you have any questions about governance, about the work of boards of directors, about policy governance, send them to us and we will be glad to use them on a future podcast. Okay, that's it for now from Brown Dog Studios. Thank you, everyone. I'm Rob. That's Susan. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Please share this podcast with your friends, colleagues, and fellow board and staff members. For the show notes, choose the podcast tab at browndogconsulting.com. This episode was produced by Brown Dog Consulting, hosted by Susan Mogensen and Rob Ludlow, and edited by Sandra Mogensen. Bye for now. Thank you.